International experts investigating the origins of COVID-19 have all but dismissed a theory that the virus came from a lab in China. And in developments just a hand, they've discovered thousands of flying pigs. It would seem that the virus did not come from a lab in Wuhan, that the military were not involved, that who is not in the pocket of China, and that pigs can fly. Government leaders and public health officials have not provided credible justification for their draconian restrictions on businesses and individuals during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, in fact, looking at what's been happening, say, in places such as California, uh, New York, Washington, and throughout Australia, it appears government actions have more to do with politics than science. This lack of transparency and the narrow focus of the media on COVID-19 infections has increased public fear and allowed governments the greatest latitude in destroying thousands of small businesses and lives, taking away individual freedoms. The headline statistics in the US and in other countries have been alarming, but do we expect to see a downturn in infections soon? And not just because of the vaccine. Dr. Jay Richards, a research assistant professor in the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America, and author of a fabulous book, The Price of Panic, How the Tyranny of Experts Turned a Pandemic into a Catastrophe, is a great read. Dr. Richards, thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much. Great to be with you again, Mike. Look, the New York Times reports there's been an average of 111,210 cases per day. That's a decrease of 36% from the average two weeks earlier. Um, So I have to ask you, can you tell us about the largest drop in cases and what's behind the changes? Or has Joe and the Democrats and the administration have magical powers. Yeah, the timing does seem magical. Um, And of course, a real cynic could say, well, we've completely changed the scoring. The reality is that this is a seasonal virus. I mean, we were predicting this, uh, my co-authors and I at The Price of Panic uh, predicted this many months ago. We said, look, the first round through in 2020, COVID-19, it came online in December or January. So it was sort of out of sync with the normal cold and flu seasons. We're now back to a normal cold and flu season, and I think from now on we'll have a cold flu and COVID season. So what you're seeing is a a peak in early January in the United States, and then there's been a decline. And so it's really exactly what you would expect uh, from a seasonal virus. It's, of course, sort of politically uh, convenient for Joe Biden, of course, because of happening right after the inauguration. So Joe hasn't got magic powers. In fact, there's absolutely nothing that the new administration has done that was different from what uh, President Trump's administration set a goal of, you know, famously a a hundred million uh, shots or vaccines in a hundred days, but we are up to about a million a day by the time he actually took office. And so uh, Biden, within a couple of days, actually admitted there's really not much that the government can do to change the course of the virus. And he is exactly right. That's one of the rare moments when a government official just simply tells the truth. Mm. Uh, The government at this point can do a lot of harm, but there's actually very little, I think, that it could do 
to improve things. We just need to count on warmer weather. Now, the new administration has changed U.S. border policy, attracting a surge of immigrants from the South. Uh, Do you think it's contradictory that COVID amongst, say, this group is not a concern? And yet we have people flying into the U.S. from other countries uh, legally, and they face a range of restrictions. So the hypocrisy... Uh, on one hand, they, I, I believe they think they're emulating Mother Therese, and on the other hand, uh, probably Bozo the Clown. <laughs> well, it, it's, there's both hypocrisy, and there's also, I think it's a sign that, that the government doesn't actually fear this virus nearly as much as they claim to. So on the one hand, if an American goes to Canada for a visit and comes back across the border, uh, they're talking about you needing to get a test and have a negative COVID test. On the other hand, if someone that's neither an American nor has has a official visa comes across, they're not going to be tested. So it's both hypocrisy, but it's also, I think, a sign that a lot of this is security theater, uh, or not? it's not security theater, it's actually um, hygiene theater really more than anything or safety theater, because the reality is um, government officials, if they were actually terrified of this, would obviously close the border. And so I think what has happened is that they're in this strange position where they have advised lockdowns for so many months. Now, all of a sudden to say, well, maybe lockdowns don't really make any difference. They'd have to admit that their previous policies were bad. So they're just they're on this kind of endless treadmill in which they can never sort of ultimately admit the obvious, unfortunately. You would have been quite a uh probably amused or bemused on the uh, that they're now saying that the virus did not come from a lab in Wuhan and, and that you know, we need to trust the Chinese because, you know, contrary to what people are saying, they have no influence over the World Health Organization and everything is just above board. Not. I mean, it's yeah. Anyone that that believes that at this point, I think you know, should be checked because um, now I'm the first one to admit we don't know for sure what happened in China. But the idea that the World Health Organization is going to go in a year late and do an objective uh, uh, analysis of this, and the Chinese authorities are going to let them do it, is just absolutely crazy. It was obviously going to be a whitewash from the beginning. Uh, in fact, the very the fact that they're claiming this absolute certainty that it couldn't have leaked from a lab, if anything, I count that as additional evidence in favor of the, the lab mm. leak, because the truth of the matter is, if they had been being honest, they would have said, well, yeah, it's possible. It's also possible it came from a market or from this, this uh, Chinese beef or something like that. But now they, they claimed an absolute certainty, but of course they haven't provided any evidence for that. No, they haven't, and uh, and probably never will. Uh, but I did see a few pigs fly by before, so... <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there's a flock of pigs flying around uh, Beijing, Wuhan, uh, Shanghai at the moment. Who knows? Well, at this point, almost anything is possible, I suppose. (laughs) Jay Richards, Dr. Jay Richards, thank you very much. My pleasure. Council culture is a growing malignant disease that will remove our valued traditions and so growing dissent. In Australia, views that are at odds with progressive or woke causes are being silenced. Demands for censorship of the politically incorrect are coming from senior politicians and representatives of the left, academe, mainstream media and a host of organisations, many of whom are active in promoting disinformation and division. Deconstruction of history, re-education of children and the masses to accept radical theories of race and gender equality. Big tech and state censorship and divided, unhappy communities should be rejected. 
In the US, radical race-based and social justice and criminal reforms are being imposed, along with threats from the new administration to hunt down supporters of the previous administration and censor disinformation via a new federal agency. Collusive and extensive censorship by big tech and mainstream media and social media manipulation go unhindered. Violence and crime are spiralling in the US cities that have long been governed by Democrats. Is this only in America? And why aren't Australian politicians and community leaders engaging more actively in the cultural wars and protecting Australian traditions, free speech and individual liberties? Peter Curti is Director of Culture, Prosperity and Civil Society at the Centre for independent studies. Peter Curdy, thank you for joining us. It's a great pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Look, you've written about the dangers of cancel culture. Uh, can you tell us what they are? Well, cancel culture is, of course, this practice whereby anything that is deemed ideologically unacceptable by critics uh, is removed or attempts are made to remove it. So, for example, pulling down statues is a, is a very good example of cancel culture. And I think there are three principal dangers uh, that arise that, that cancel culture poses, particularly for us here in Australia. The first is that I think it corrodes civility, that we end up arguing with one another, fighting with one another, uh, and not being able to discuss in, an, in, in calm and sensible ways differences of, of opinion about our, about our history, uh, about the issues that, uh, that confront us in society, and about the best ways of dealing with them. So the first danger is that it corrodes civility. The other um, danger which flows from that is that I think it threatens to destroy trust because cancel culture sets up people in opposition to each other. It sets up people in opposition to each other so that we, we no longer believe that those with whom we disagree are speaking from conviction or speaking from truth. We, be, we, we distrust them uh, and we become very suspicious of them. And the third danger is, th th which compounds the first two, is that it fuels discord. We end up arguing, we end up divided as a society, uh, and we have that the sense of, in my view, that sense of a, of a common national identity, a common social identity uh, gets threatened because people on who are who are determined to, as it were, erase our history, just tear down and don't put anything in its place. What can we do about then the growing prevalence of cancel culture in our society? Well, it's it's a real challenge, actually, because much of this happens on social media. And I think as people are cowed by threats of having their reputation harmed uh, and their livelihoods traduced on social media, people are reluctant to speak out about uh, about these sorts of things. But I think what we can do, what we must do, what we need to do is, in fact, to speak out, to call it for what it is and to, as it were, fight back. Because if we just do nothing and accept that uh, those who argue that, for example, statues of Captain Cook have to come down, um, that anything that resembles, or th in the view of those who are making this argument, anything that resembles uh, a history of colonialism or imperialism or slavery has to go. Unless we speak out, that view will prevail and that view will win. The difference between... Uh, say uh, America or the US, 
from uh, one end to the other end to Hawaii. Um, and Australians, Australians tend to be a lot more trusting. So the mainstream media um, can say what it's like and the government can say what it's like, what it likes. And we have this, um, this sort of trust. And some would describe that trust as almost being apathy uh, because it's like, she'll be right, mate. You know, it's okay. Do you think that's a problem because our interest in what's happening to this, this shutdown by by basically the left, um, it can creep in and before you know it, it's just too late. Well, I think our national character is actually a real advantage to us. Mm. You're right. I mean, I think that we have to be vigilant um, and it's it's important to look at what's going on in countries like the United States and now in the United Kingdom and to see that, in fact, that kind of movement, which is, as I said, communicated often online and by social media, can come here. But I think our our easygoing nature and mm. our readiness and our willingness to accept other people uh, and other points of view, which is, in my view, is uh, is a, a, a strong Australian characteristic, can 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 save us and, and and is actually very very important. And the other point to remember is that we are, despite the fact that people who advocate, um, who I call them the cancellators, the cancellators will tell us that we are a racist and and divided. Uh, and bitter society. In fact, Australia is a very successful and cohesive multicultural society, one of the most successful multicultural societies in the world. And research, annual research over more than a decade has simply confirmed that. So I don't think that, I think that our attitude in many ways is one of our great strengths, but we can't be complacent about that. And we have to speak out where, when we need to speak out and we have to denounce this cancellation um, and, to, and to check it before it gets the better of us. Looking at big tech and mainstream media uh, in the US, it's overt censorship of conservative opinion uh, and its support for a particular social agenda. Where do you think this fit, fits in and, and could it happen uh, in Australia? Well, I think we see instances where... Um, you know, big tech in Australia does tend to take positions that are opposed to uh, conservative points of view um, and tends to promote progressive points of view. And I think we haven't seen the same uh, we haven't seen the same sort of polarization here that we see in the United States. But I think we there are glimpses of this happening. I mean, there's a lot of criticism made, for example, about about the um, the impartiality or lack of impartiality of the ABC and much of the mainstream media. And I think points of view that are unpopular with mainstream media do tend to get, if not cancelled or edited out, they do tend to get suppressed. And I think we have to be mindful of that. But I don't think we have the I don't think we have anything like the, the bitter divisions that we see currently prevailing in the United States, for example. But what about in the future? I mean, uh, all this, I think, stems from one, the family and, uh, and secondly, the education um, we have in this country. Um, I would think without being over the top, a very left agenda in the education system uh, and history is sort of being being rewritten at times. Do you think, though, you know, give it, um, say, 10 years, because if these, uh, uh, say, eight, 10-year-old students at the moment, when they hit 20 or hit 18, but after that, they're allowed to vote and they're allowed to also uh, determine the, the course of Australia's future. 
Well, you're right. And it, it's um, in some ways, it's a sort of a truism and a simplistic one of that to say it all comes down to education. But in this instance, I think it does, because young people have their understanding of of their place in society <clears throat> and the kind of society in which they're going to take their place shaped in school. And if uh, if left wing ideology prevails in the classroom, a generation of children is going to grow up believing that Australia is systemically racist um, and uh, and built on slavery. And that is simply not true. So in that instance, I think it's very important that we push back and we try to get alternative points of view advanced and heard that's not always easy uh, and i think it requires courage determina and determination and we have to see it as something that's for the for the long haul it's not going to happen quickly um, i think the key thing is to spot the dangers early and mm. you're right about those very dangers and once we spot those dangers i think we can begin to do something about them if we just did nothing uh, then I think that would be, we, we, we would see a very poor outcome. Uh, Christianity, uh, probably in the top couple of, on the hit list for uh, council culture. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, it just seems to be, I mean, it's very strong in the US now, which used to be a very strong Christian nation, and its constitution is based on it. Uh, you look at uh, Australia, uh, where sort of Christianity it just seems to be on the back burner and uh, the flame is being turned down more and more. Well, I think Christianity is, uh, in Australia, is, uh, I wouldn't say it's under threat, but it's certainly under pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no doubt that it's under pressure. And we see a, a prevailing uh, secular attitude, which, I mean, secularism is important. And I don't, I, I think we, I value the fact that Australia is a secular democracy. We don't want to live in a theocracy, for heaven's sake. But I think that they're in, in the, the waves of secularism mean that Christianity is being marginalized. And we see that, for example, in, in the euthanasia debate. Now, euthanasia is gradually becoming uh, legalized across the country. And Christian concerns about the deliberate ending of life are uh, becoming muted and it's harder to speak out. We've just seen in Victoria the uh, passage of a bill uh, that's now law that outlaws so-called conversion therapy. Now, no one is endorsing harmful or abusive practices uh, that, that, that are, are leveled against people. But this bill that is, as I say, is now the law in Victoria extends to um, pray uh, to, to prayer and to pastoral counselling, and it means that that a pastor who is asked for advice and support can find themselves liable either to a term in jail or to a very substantial fine. Now, these are examples of the way in which I think Christianity is under pressure in this country. Well, there'll be many who say Christianity has been under pressure before during times of persecution, and that the Christians need to accept that this is just part of. Uh, sometimes it's just part of the way of the Christian life. So I think we need to accept that that the society in which we live is hostile in many ways to Christianity. But the, again, I think Christianity here is actually much stronger than many people uh, many people recognize that in the last census, 60 mm. percent, over 60, I think it was like 66 percent of people uh, claimed an affiliation to Christianity, whereas those who said who had no religious affiliation um, was a third, was was 30, 30 percent. So not even a third of Australians 
who were surveyed in the census in the census had um, had no religious affiliation at all. There are many Christians in in this country, and I think Christianity is still an important part of the way in which we live. Its 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 moral precepts have shaped our laws and our culture. But certainly it's under pressure, and I don't think we can be complacent about that either. Peter, what about the use of social media by powerful interest groups and uh, foreign powers to sow dissent in our society? Should Australian politicians be more concerned? Well, I I think um, my own view is that we don't face a genuine threat of espionage in in this country. I think we are seeing levels of interference, and I think that those that that interference is being identified and is being called out. I suppose I'm really speaking about China here. And as the country comes to terms, as the government comes to terms with the extent of of Chinese um, involvement in this country, uh, there is a concern. I think that uh, that that Australia, the integrity of Australia as a, as a country will be compromised. I don't think that's a real danger, but I think we need to be aware of the fact that uh, that dissent can be sown by foreign agents, uh, foreign, by, by foreign powers, by use of, of social media, by use of, of big tech. Um, and that it, this is something that we need to be aware of, but I don't think we are under threat. I don't see that the Australian way of life or that the integrity of the Australian government is is under threat at the moment. Uh, that's not to say things couldn't change, but I think there is a lot of heat that's generated by this issue, and I think the fact that it that it is generated means that discussion uh, is still vibrant and. F- and speech is still free and not constrained. Look, great conversation. We could do this more and more. I think free speech is such an important part of Western democracy, and to see that and our freedoms eroded probably uh, deserves a longer discussion, Peter. Peter Curdy, thank you very much. For Asia Pacific Today, I'm Mike Ryan.